In keeping with this theme today about fear and peace and what can we find that will help bring us true peace, that shalom that Dr. Pipe just talked about, we're starting a new study and it's a seven hits from the Jewish songbook. Seven great psalms, which come right out of the Jewish heritage. I've been sending little bits of information through the week to our closed group Facebook page. And I asked this question, hoping that I would have a couple of responses that I could share with you. And I got a ton of responses. It was unbelievable. I had asked, what song do you have in your recollection that when you hear it, if it comes on the radio, it takes you instantly back in time to a time and place. And you all had tons of those. I, I love that. So thanks for weighing in with that. I still have one that brings a, a very poignant time in my life back to my memory. If I hear James Taylor's song, You Got a Friend, I can start smelling ice cream. I'm not kidding. It takes me right back to Baskin Robbins, 31 Flavors. It's my first real job. I was in high school. I would ride my 10 speed to this place. It was a couple of miles away from where I lived. And that song was in the top 40 at that time of my life. And we probably heard that song at least once per hour, every hour for weeks. And so every time I hear that song, my wrist gets sore from scooping so much. It's incredible what a song can do for you. And that's what I'm hoping that we can embed in our minds over this next seven weeks I want some of these great hits from the Jewish songbook to become go-to songs for you, because if you have a specific psalm that you can go to at a particular time, every time you start reading that psalm, it will take you back to good reminders of things that we need to be reminded of. Today, the first hit that we're looking at is Psalm 27. It's a song that starts out by proclaiming, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then it asks, so why should I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? David starts by asking that good question. And then, of course, he answers that all throughout his psalm. This psalm is similar to several of the other psalms written by David in the fact that he follows some fairly prescribed uh, rhythms. There are actually rhythms and there are some laments in so some of his psalms. So I suppose you could say that that was the earliest known rhythm and blues songs. Just thought I'd throw that one in there for you. And David was really good at writing these psalms, and it helped express emotion. That was one of the things that I think we discover here is that there's very real human emotion in the collection of psalms, which, as I mentioned in one of my posts, is divided into five separate song books with a doxology at the end of each of those five sections. And so now we're looking at these psalms, which I think are going to be really good for our soul health. So it's kind of some soul music as well. Okay, now that we've gotten those out of the way, since some of you have been actually reading through Psalm 27 every day, as I ask you to do at the beginning of the week in preparation for today, I'll bet that a bunch of you have some great insights. So you could probably have some illustrations for today, but that would take us a long time to collect them all. So I'm trusting that you can share that with somebody maybe somebody close to you. Maybe you could even share some of your insights on our Facebook page later. But for now, hopefully what I'm about to share with you about Psalm 27 will affirm some of those insights 
and maybe augment them. Hopefully, I'll say a few things that you might not have actually thought of about Psalm 27 today. Like a sudden, unexpected turn of events that can happen to any of us, sometimes we are caught off guard and there's reason for fear. For example, a previously known novel virus starts to become very known, unfortunately, and sweeps around the globe, something that we've never seen any of us in our lifetime. Someone you know starts having a scratchy throat and some body aches and maybe a temperature, and you start thinking, ooh, is this a common cold or is this the coronavirus? Maybe you're out of work for several weeks because of the pandemic lockdown. And you're starting to have those little waves of fear and panic thinking, I don't know if we're gonna make it to the end of the month. I'm not sure how we're gonna survive. And I have not been able to see anything in the way of some unemployment checks coming in yet. Or maybe your daughter or son who had their driver's permit before the lockdown are really eager. They're those people in that poll that Dr. Pipe put out earlier, that they've got the keys in the ignition and their clothes on, they're ready to go. And you're thinking, I don't know which is worse to be locked down or to be set free so that I can be in the car with my child who's gonna be driving on the roads again soon. Whatever causes fear and panic in us, I'm here to tell you that Psalm 27 is gonna become one of those hits from the Jewish songbook that can help us overcome that fear. Whatever the source of your fear, it's easy for all of us. And I'm telling you, pastors included, it's easy for all of us to start sliding quickly into fear. How do we cope with this fear? Well, we can take some cues from David, who wrote this song for us. Now, not all the songs are songs. Some of them were strictly poems. And they did have a rhyming meter that's a little different than our ear is used to because it was done in the Hebrew language. But many of them were songs and many of them were sung as parts of the Jewish worship practices. And David is this guy who wrote a whole bunch of these for us. And we know that he had fear. We know that even though he was considered the greatest king of the Hebrews, of the Jewish people, he had a lot of very human emotions, including very real fear. And we get to see that in many of his Psalms, including Psalm 27. He knew it when he was younger because he knew that as he was watching his father's sheep as a young lad and he would see a predator threaten those sheep, he had to jump into action. And I'm sure that as a young man, he probably thought, if nobody else is going to step in there, I've got to do it. And so I have to find out how to muster up my courage and go after this predator. I have to care for the sheep. Interesting how God can use that in his past so that it would help some skill sets that he needed to be able to shepherd God's sheep as well later on. Same thing happened with Moses, by the way. And then we saw when he was a youngster and uh, nobody else wanted to fight Goliath, that giant Philistine, because he was so scary, that Philistine champion. And David was looking around and he's saying, well, nobody else is trusting in God. I know that the battle is the Lord's. So, okay, bring it on. Let me at him. And so he came to this place in his life where he realized that God was strong enough to fight the battles. He just needed to be obedient. And so David started to get to know this God, who was the one who could take away our fear and replace it with courage because we knew God was fighting our battles for us. And then that time when he was older and he had already been anointed by Samuel as the next king to follow Saul, and he was being chased by Saul, who got jealous. And so he knew that Saul really wanted to take his life. I'm sure that he had to have known fear even in those times as well. How do we cope? By taking some cues from David. One of the key elements we noticed in this psalm 
is that David was constantly putting his faith in God because he was a man after God's own heart. Was David a perfect guy? Absolutely not. We know he sinned. He sinned greatly and grievously, but we also know that he was a man after God's own heart. Here's, I think, a real true statement. The most courageous people, and this is true for me, the most courageous people I have known are those people who know God well. The people who face fear the best are the people who know God the best. Courage grows as we grow to know God better. And I certainly have seen that. I, I can see people who have been walking with God for decades and things that used to ruffle their feathers when they were younger just don't seem to ruffle them as much. It's like they've been through a couple of F4 or F5 tornadoes, which were awful. And so now if there's a new fear that comes on the scene, they'll say, yeah, that's like an F2. It's no big deal. God has control of this. It's going to be okay. And you can see that solid faith that they have in the God who has gotten them through the past. And that was the thing with David. The reason David could write some of the things he's writing in Psalm 27 is because he has a history of God and God's faithfulness behind him leading up to Psalm 27. He says at the very beginning of this psalm, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I think it's great to read these things and understand that there's a very human, human being writing these words. It wasn't somebody who was wishful thinking. This is a real human who expressed real emotion and had to go through real trials. And yet he came out strong on the other end because he had learned to place his faith in God. He says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. He has known this because he's experienced this. Now, I don't know about you. Can I be honest with you right now? I don't think I have a lot of enemies. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it's probably a good thing because I'm not running around making people angry at me all the time. But in another way, sometimes if I'm standing for what's true, I'm going to have pushback. If you take a position, expect opposition. And I think that sometimes I don't take a position strongly enough, and that's because my greatest enemy is my fear of rejection or my fear of not being liked, because I tend to be a bit of a people pleaser, quite frankly. And so the greatest enemy for me most of the time are the thoughts that go on inside my head. They're not physical enemies like David had to go up against. And those thoughts can really hinder my walk with the Lord, and they can hinder my witness, because sometimes it would lead me not to be as bold in my witness as I would like to be. So even those enemies, those hidden thoughts, those things that would cause doubt or fear or that would keep me from being bold, they can start to come at me, and I can take heart in this psalm to know that God, who watched over David and kept him protected, will even protect my mind as my mind is being renewed through his word, through God's word. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though the war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Most of the wars that I've been a part of have been ideological wars. They have been conflicts of ideas. And I tend to really work myself up inside if I'm not careful because I'm so afraid that I'm going to offend somebody else and so I won't be able to look them in the eye and say I love you as a person and I wholeheartedly disagree with that statement that you just made but here's why 
And if I can do that confidently and compassionately, I know that God can bring me to a place where I can share truth. And I'm confident about that truth because I know the God behind the truth. So I don't know why I fear sharing truth that way, except that I fear other people not liking me. And that's my enemy. Elizabeth Elliot said something I recall reading it years ago. She had written that one time when she was a little girl, she remembers being taken with her father to a, a drive through car wash. And she said, I was so small that this was a new experience for me. And he drove the car in and then stuck the car in neutral and just let go of the wheel. And all of a sudden, the car lurched forward and started moving slowly through this tunnel, which got darker and darker. And then the sprays of water and foam came out and these gigantic monstrous brushes started moving all around me. She said, it was a scary world for a little kid. But I looked over and I looked up at my father's face and I saw that he wasn't concerned at all. She said, I figured even back then as a little girl, as long as I kept looking at my father's face, I had confidence that everything was going to be okay. Isn't that great? I think David's song for me shows me that even though I'm starting to feel turmoil and I feel like everything is just a pandemic pandemonium around me, I can look to my father's face and be calmed. There's also a courage by association that we see in David's relationship with a God who was so much bigger than all of his enemies, including Goliath. There's a courage by association. My parents had a little mangy poodle that was kind of a mutt. And this looked a lot like, I couldn't find an actual picture of Fluffy, but yes, they named the poodle Fluffy. Laugh if you want, that was the name of the poodle. And Fluffy was about this big, little bitty thing, kind of a teacup poodle, mangy mutt. Fluffy couldn't hurt a flea. And yet when my father who was the master of the household, would walk out with Fluffy. Fluffy, who had previously been hiding behind the curtain by the sliding glass door in the patio, would look out and see a squirrel on top of the fence, and Fluffy would hide until my father walked outside. Now, when my father walked outside, Fluffy would look up at my father, and suddenly it became a German shepherd in its heart. And Fluffy could run out to that fence. That's what Fluffy was hearing in his little mind. Actually, it was coming out. But that was Fluffy's mindset. When my dad was there, Fluffy just went full on German Shepherd. And it was the funnest thing to watch. And then when my dad would go back inside, Fluffy would be like, okay, it's time to go in now. An amazing thing when there's courage by association. David had learned that when God was on his side, he could face any enemy and have complete courage, even though he looked like a little lad. But David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, and the reason he says one thing, the way he does it in the Hebrew means my one thing, my most important priority that I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may dwell in his house and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, I had asked a couple of you in my questions as you're going through your devotional reading this week, what you thought about this number four, gazing on the beauty. Why would he say gazing on the beauty of the Lord? Why is that important to him? I mentioned this a few weeks ago in one of my sermons that I was actually preaching in front of real people when we were still in a building. And I've had to really ponder this. We're still real people. Oh, we're still in real people. <laughs> yes, we're still real people. And I guess you're still in real buildings. It's just not the same building. Okay. In person. 
Yeah. David's one thing, gazing on the beauty of the Lord. One of the things that I figured out is that David understood that God is perfection. And everything that we think is perfect is something that we want to gaze at. That's why there's so many wonderful things that happen out in nature. I've seen some of your slides from different vacations that you've taken. And some of you have been out to Yosemite and some of you have been to the Redwood Forest and some of you have been to the oceans. And you can just get lost gazing at the beauty of that perfection. Well, the Bible even tells us that all this creation, Romans 1, all this creation shows us, reflects God's glory, his beauty, his splendor, his majesty, his greatness. All these attributes that are God are reflected in his creation. And so if you wrap all that up together and you're in God's presence, then David knows he's connecting that to say, I'm going to want to gaze at that, which brings me the greatest possible satisfaction for the greatest possible length of time. That is being in God's presence. And he would seek God in his temple, which means he wanted to worship because for him, temple meant the place where you go to worship. Uh, We've known that the, the temple worship was moved all through the Israelites moving from Egypt and over in toward the promised land, and it was temporary for a time. And then we know that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. And so now we who have Jesus in our hearts are carrying God with us. And one day there will be the ultimate promised place where we can be in his presence when we're glorified and God consummates his grand plan. And he's always been promising a place where he is, and that's where we want to be. We see that all through scripture. So David's one thing is, I want to be where he is. I want to gaze at his splendor, his beauty, the thing that's so perfect that I can't take my eyes off of it. And I just want to dwell in that and soak it up. That's what David knew. And we see that expressed a lot in his Psalms, including the Psalm 27. So David's happy place, you've heard that term, go to your happy place. Well, many times David would do that in the Psalms for us. He would go to his happy place gazing at that which brings him satisfaction and calms his fears, the beauty or the splendor or the delight or the grace. I had a happy place when I was a kid. My cousin Bruce uh, from Texas would visit Arizona every other year when we would meet up with my grandparents for Christmas. And he and I would go hiking around my grandfather's property down by Oak Creek. And we found a place that had this kind of visual beauty It was by Oak Creek, and we would climb a mountain and go up about 150 feet above the waterline of that creek. And because we were hidden by trees, mostly, we found this red rock outcropping of sandstone, and we could sit or lie down on that sandstone, and nobody could see us. It was like we were completely protected from all predators, anybody in the city of Oak Creek, which was a couple of miles away, And we could look all the way across the canyon to the cars driving on the highway on the opposite side. And they didn't even know we were there. We felt so special. And we nicknamed it the beautiful spot. It was really original place. I say that to say that this is what I think of when I think of the beautiful place that I can go to, my happy place. If I picture myself lying out there on that rock, I realize that I'm safe. I'm protected. I'm gazing at things that I just want to not even talk for minutes on end. I started to say hours, but that's impossible for me. I want to gaze for minutes on end without saying a word because I'm just soaking in this beauty. That's what David is describing for us here. And he even says, and God will place my feet on a rock in that day of trouble. He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high up on a rock. One of the times that I've told you about in my many stories about Oak Creek is the time when they had a flood 
because the snows melted and a great rain came. And so all the snows from up on the hill in Flagstaff above Sedona filled up the creek and turned it into a raging torrent. And the water rose about 20 feet above its normal uh, level that time. And so we had to get evacuated off the island. But if we had been on that rock at the beautiful spot, I would have still had 130 feet up above that raging creek, which had turned into a river. I would have been completely safe. And that's what I think about. And I think that's what David was thinking about. Since Joy and I have been in Israel, we've seen some of those places where David would run to for safety and he could find a cleft in the rock. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. And he shadows me in a dry, thirsty land. That was exactly what God did for David. Like in En Gedi, where there was a, a natural spring with an artesian well that would pump out water and the birds would be there and the animals and he had plenty of water to drink, plenty of green foliage all around him. He was safe and protected. And God would set him high on a rock in safety. That's what God does for us if we go to our happy place. You know where a happy place can be for us now? Read Psalms 27 can become one of your hits. Safe in his presence. My daughter, Callie, shared with us her testimony last week. She experienced two and a half years ago a virus, not COVID-19, but a virus that attacked her heart, and it took her down physically. But she realized that she would always go to her safe place, and she knew she was protected and safe and in God's loving arms when she would have to have those flares and sometimes literally even go unconscious for time when she would be asleep for minutes or an hour or two as she was starting to come out of that and become strong again. That's what we can be in God's presence, safe in his presence. One thing I loved about this, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor, we have an Elizabeth Taylor in our church, for those of you who don't know that. Liz Taylor had weighed in on this discussion through Facebook this last week, and I appreciated what you said, Liz, that you knew that it was for the land of the living. Sometimes we tend to think of this safe place as going to be after we have actually shuffled off this mortal coil that our earthly tents have worn out and our bodies have given way. And so that we graduate to heaven and then we'll finally be safe. But David knew that it was going to be here and now in the land of the living. And he says that in verse 13, a couple of the other margin notes of some of the translations that we have in some of our earliest manuscripts from the Hebrew there's a little word there that translates into English as a full phrase that says, I would have fainted or I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Which means if I didn't know that, I would have been all done in a long time ago. I would have fainted because things were too fearful for me. I could never have faced that. But I know, this is David speaking, I, I'm paraphrasing him. I know that this is for now. God's courage can be with me now. No matter what I happen to be facing, I don't have to wait for the pie in the sky by and by. I can actually have this courage and this faith that fills me up to overflowing through the Holy Spirit now in this life, in the land of the living. That's why you don't have to faint. And then he wraps up this wonderful song by saying, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Some of you have been recently, and some of you are right now, in God's waiting room. And waiting is difficult, but I've mentioned it dozens of times before. Waiting is not passive. Waiting is an activity, especially for those of us who know Christ, who can go to God's Word, spend time with an open Bible, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Waiting 
is a learning time for us. We've all been learning in this huge pause button that God pushed for the entire planet. We've all been learning. Some of the things that we learn may not be as useful as other things. I'd like for us to learn the most important things, like David said, this one thing that I know. We need to learn which is the most important, and that is that we can trust God, that he can replace our fear with faithfulness and courage. Henri Nguyen, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that in the French way right, we would say Henry Nguyen. Those of us who are from Arizona, we'd say Henry Nguyen. He knew some friends of his. Now, if you've read anything from Henri, you would know that he was a real strong man of faith and discipleship, and he grew to know the Lord well through the course of his life. He's left us a lot of good writings, but he had some friends that were called the Flying Rudellas. It was a trapeze family, and he got to talk with some of the Rudellas and find out some of the lessons they had learned in doing their very scary art, which was to fly in the trapeze and leap and let go and be caught by somebody else. He says each person had to know his or her role in this relationship on the flying trapeze. The flyer is the one who lets go. The catcher is the one who catches. And we think, well, duh. But that's important, and you'll see why it's important. The flyer always has to have complete trust that the catcher was going to catch. All the flyer had to do was let go and then reach out and reach up. The flyer didn't have to grab hold of the catcher. The catcher would grab hold of the flyer. There are moments in all of our lives, and David wrote about it in his Psalm 27, when we feel that the enemies of anxious thoughts or fear or doubt are closing in on us, and we start to give in to panic, and there's a moment when we must all trust that the catcher is going to catch, and we must let go. And it feels counterintuitive to let go. We feel like we've got to hang on for dear life to whatever it is we were hanging on to, even if what we were hanging on to isn't getting the job done. We have to let go. Our job is to let go. God's job is to catch. When we let go, even though we feel like we're falling, we're actually flying. And we can trust that the strong hands of the catcher will take hold of us at just the right moment. One of the flying Rudellas told Henri, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer's job is to wait and wait and wait until just the right moment. The catcher will catch the flyer, but the flyer must wait. I don't know what kind of waiting room you might happen to be in, but I've been in a few in my life and I've known panic and I've known fear, but I've also known what it was like when I felt the strong hands of the catcher grab a hold of me and I knew everything was going to be okay. I've seen that several times and I'm so grateful for it. And it's not just about feeling and wishful thinking. It's about real experiences with a real God who has proven himself time and again that he's there for us. That's why David could write with such confidence. Christ rose again. That's what we celebrated last week. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's what gives us confidence 
that we can wait on the Lord, wait for the right timing, and then reach out to him knowing that the catcher is going to catch. It's going to be okay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray right now for anybody who's in God's waiting room that you'll catch them at the right time, that you'll give them courage and patience to wait long enough to learn what it is you need for them to learn in the waiting room, and that when you catch them, they'll be so thankful that they'll be like David, that they'll want to go into your temple and praise you and make music unto the Lord because worship is the right response. Thank you that all of us who are in in a bit of a waiting time, really, because of this pandemic, that we're all waiting on you to show us what our next steps are supposed to be as well. We trust you. Our faith is in you. Give us courage and help us to replace our doubts and our fears with absolute trust in you, because the battle is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.